0: have a Bible, I want to invite you to go with me please to the book of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter number 9 and I'm going to deal with a subject that I think many of you probably have some knowledge of and we're going to look at the conversion of the Apostle Paul and these are things that I think we need to really uh, understand and there's a great body of truth that is set before us here and I trust that as we take a look, that God will minister to our hearts as a result. And here we're going to begin in verse number 1, where the Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. What wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. The men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, And neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight. And inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And, there, and here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings for the children of Israel. And I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, hast sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight, and and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were in Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. And all that heard him were amazed, and said, Is not this he? that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying wait was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight as we look a little deeper into thy word. And Lord, I pray that your will might be accomplished through this time together, we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. The Apostle Paul, of course, gives us here in the book of Acts a record of his miraculous conversion to Jesus Christ. Perhaps throughout the ages of history, there are few that have had such a dramatic conversion as Paul had on the road to Damascus. And yet, it was a moment that literally transformed the life of the Apostle Paul and furthermore changed the course of human history. For through him, God would carry the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire Gentile world in his day. What a profound change overcame a man whose whole life was set against the people of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There are few, if many, examples that exist that would be more telling of what Paul said there to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, That old things are passed away when a person is put in Christ, and that all things have become new and that we are now a new creation or new creatures in Christ. I want to bring you a, a Bible study tonight, if I may, entitled A New Creature. A New Creature. Everything about Paul was transformed in a moment. Everything about the direction of his life was changed in an instant. And everything that he was against became all that he lived his life for. Can you imagine that? And so I think it is important for us to take a moment, and although this is not my message per se, it relates uh, obviously uh, to the message that I'm bringing, because here we discover that Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, who at this time was named Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, who was appointed by the Sanhedrin to persecute the church of the living God, to search out all believers in this one Jesus and to hail them into prison and to beat them, to put them in stocks and chains and if need be to have them put to death and that was the task that was given to him and so trusted was he by the rulers of the Jews that he was the one who literally could uh, give the word for a Christian to be put to death or to be spared and so on his way to Damascus to uh, do this uh, dirty work. The Lord confronted him, and I want us to notice that uh, there was a progression that happened. There's something simple, it's very basic, but yet, nevertheless, something that I think casts light on a doctrine that is often confused. That is, when does a person receive the Holy Ghost? For what we can discern here is this, that Jesus presented himself, of course, to Paul or Saul at this time on the road to Damascus, and the Bible reveals that when Ananias came to him after three days, that he entered into the house, and verse 17 tells this, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. What we notice is that, you know, that, that Saul was saved here on the road to Damascus. He confessed Jesus as Lord. He was confronted literally by the living risen Lord. So he came to the conclusion that Jesus who died on the cross was buried and was now risen from the dead as he said. And he heard the voice of God and he cried out after the Bible tells us, He said, I am, the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And then the Bible says that he confessed him. And and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He was miraculously saved. And then Ananias came in and, and laid his hands upon him. And at that season he received the Holy Ghost. And what we notice is that after that he was saved and had received the Holy Ghost, he was baptized. There are many in the ranks of those that name the name of Christ that mistakenly have come to the conclusion that baptism has something to do with a person's salvation or that somehow it has something to do with them receiving the Holy Ghost, and the reality here is that he was saved, and at that moment, uh, he was sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. He knew this because he wrote exhaustively about that same subject as he addressed the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, and also in Ephesians chapter number 4, that he was sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. The Bible reveals to us in the only uh, treatise on the subject of salvation that is given in the Word of God, which was written by Paul, Uh, it tells us there in chapter 8 that if any man, in verse number 9, have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So understand this, that when we become a child of God by faith, instantly we receive the Holy Spirit of God into our lives. We are sealed by that Spirit. We are made alive again by the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit as the Bible reveals to us in Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And then we discover in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 13 that we are baptized by one Spirit into Jesus Christ And that refers to our spiritual baptism that occurs at the very instant we take Jesus as our Savior. At that moment in time, that very instant in time, we are baptized into the body of Jesus Christ, into Christ by that Holy Spirit of promise that then seals us. And so, my friend, it is not a second work of grace. It is not something that of necessity has to be followed up by speaking in other languages or laying on of hands or signs and wonders. These things were done during the early church period to validate the conviction that salvation that had once been only to the Jew was now made available to the Gentile world. And for those Jews who disbelieved that, God gave signs and wonders to convince them And to help them from unbelief to fully believing that God had broken down the middle wall of partition that had existed between the Jews and the Gentiles and made of twain or two one new body. And that from henceforth all those who would be saved must be saved by grace through faith. In the one and only Lord Jesus Christ. And so they were joined together by that common thread. And the reality is that that is something that Paul preached extensively about. He became a new man. For the Bible tells us this. That Saul was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord And uh, he went unto the high priest, and interesting that it says he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. No one could accuse Paul of discriminatory persecution. (laughs) Uh, He was an equal opportunity persecutor. It didn't matter if you were man or woman, if you named the name of Jesus Christ, they hated you all alike. They wanted you all dead and gone alike. And that was all there was to that. And so, I, I don't want you to think for one stretch that, uh, that there was something kind or nice about the Sanhedrin and what they were asking Paul to do. It wasn't just that they were wanting to tell people, listen, you shouldn't believe like that. No, they wanted to wipe them out. Paul wasn't just threatening people. The Bible declares here, and, and I should say Saul, he became Paul later, but Saul was not just threatening folks, he was slaughtering them. Indeed, it was Saul of Tarsus who gave the order for the execution of the first martyr of the church, which we know was Stephen, who was a deacon in the church in Jerusalem. And Paul was consenting unto his death, had, had been the one that held their coats and, and, and gave the order for him To be put to death. I happen to believe that that was a a pivotal moment in his life. Because there I believe that in the testimony. The dying testimony of the martyr Stephen. He saw a reflection of the living Lord. He saw a reflection of the life that God was calling these people to. That he was now persecuting. And he requested now letters of the high priest that he would be able to put both men and women to death and both men and women into jail for believing on this one named Jesus. Do you know as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven and he fell to the earth And heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, I want you to know that Paul, who was then Saul, was fighting against God. Fighting against God. You say, he wasn't fighting God, he was fighting against Christians, you may say because he was going to hail them into prison. He was going to slaughter the Christians with letters of authorization from the high priest. And, and yet, the Lord said, Why persecutest thou me? And then again we read in verse 5, He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against me the pricks. And so what he was saying again, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And the lesson that we draw from this is simply that those who have trusted Christ have been made members of His body and that when I speak a word or do something against a member of the body of Christ, I am fighting God in the flesh. I am fighting against the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I would say this to you tonight, that there are many that would never deign to put on the gloves and step into the octagon with God Himself. And (laughs) you'd be well advised not to ever even think of it. But there are many that routinely assassinate the character of his kids. There are many that will routinely say things and do things against the people of God. Failing to understand the reality of the truth that Saul is now confronted with. That when he was hailing men and women into prison. And when he was slaughtering those that refused to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ, that He was indeed persecuting Christ Himself. Did you know that the great example that the Lord gives to us concerning the kind of relationship that He desires to have with all true believers in Him is the example of marriage. You see, that great mystery that God gave is now unveiled in the person of Jesus Christ and revealed to us in Ephesians chapter 5 and that where that two would become one and would become flesh of flesh and bone of bone and what God had joined together he he desired that no man would ever put asunder and what we understand is this he said in Ephesians chapter 5 that this is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We must understand that in that illustration that the husband and wife are joined together in a one flesh union, that they are bone of bone and flesh of flesh. And if they criticize and attack one another, malign and rail one another, they are doing hurt to themselves. And our eternal bridegroom is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in Him and He is in us. We are members of His body. And so when we do anything against the church or one of its members, we do it to God Himself. I would tell you that the Bible reveals to us that in James chapter 4, it says, Ye adulterers, and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, that is a poor choice to choose up sides against God because in fact it is a fight that you can never win. And that's what Paul, or in this case Saul, was standing up against. He was fighting a foe that he could never defeat. It didn't matter how many letters he had from the high priest. It didn't matter how much backing he had from the Sanhedrin. It didn't matter how many soldiers he may have had to help him carry out his evil work. He would never win. And I'm going to say that it doesn't matter how many people uh, try to keep the church from assembling. It doesn't matter how many people speak against the the message of the church and the Word of God. It doesn't matter to me how many people stand up and belittle and demean and impugn of the people of God and and try to somehow marginalize them from the pale of communities because they simply believe the Bible to be literally true. And they believe that Jesus is coming again for them. And, and those are two things that cause someone to be called what is known as a fundamentalist. Which in today's uh, politically correct environment makes you a part of the problem. And you know what? Listen, you can marginalize me to the cows come home. You can try to paint me out to be a part of the problem because I'm one of those reborn fundamentalists, or as they like to say, fundamentalists. But I, I submit to you that they are fighting a fight that they will never win. I've read the last chapter of the book, and guess what? I know who wins. And we do. And I'm glad that I can tonight tell you that I am on the winning side because I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and no matter what anyone may say or do, they cannot stamp out the light of the glorious gospel of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we find a man who was fighting against God. And in his fight against God, We discover that he was humbled by God. For a great light, we are told, from heaven shone round about him. And he he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? So here is this proud man going about to do injury to the people of God and to slaughter them. And God confronts him with a blinding light and he falls on his face to the earth. This proud man is now laying on the earth before Almighty God. It reminds me a great deal about when the high priest came with all of his minions to the Garden of Gethsemane to to arrest the Lord and take him away to uh, this series of kangaroo courts that ultimately would lead to the crucifixion of Jesus. That when they said that they sought Jesus, and he said that I am he, that they fell on their faces before him, and they could not even move until he gave them leave. I don't know about you, but if I would have been one of the soldiers in that uh, that company of soldiers that went to the garden to arrest Jesus... I might have been having second thoughts when all of a sudden I was overtaken by paralysis on my face and couldn't move until the one I came to arrest gave me permission to get up. It proved that no man took Jesus' life from Him. He willingly laid it down. The Lord humbled them before Him. Saul of Tarsus was humbled before God. My friends, the Bible says, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. But if we refuse to humble ourselves before God, He will orchestrate our humiliation. And He he has a way of doing that that's a lot better than we could have ever imagined. And here was this proud man on his face, before God, unable to move, unable to see. And the men that were around him, they were speechless. They heard a voice, but they saw no man. And so now, the Bible says that Saul was trembling and astonished and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I don't know if you've ever been about your business, going your own way, doing your own thing, and the Lord confronted you because He had another plan for your life. He had another idea about how your life should be invested, and He confronted you. And maybe you fought against it till finally you found yourself on your face before Him, saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? This once proud man was now trembling on his face with blindness before Almighty God. And so Saul arose from the earth and when he tried to open his eyes, he realized that he was blind. He saw no man. so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus and was there three days without sight and, did, uh, and neither did eat nor drink. So not only do we find him fighting against God, the transformation began. And that was that he was humbled by God. And by the way, that's how most transformations from the old man to a new creation in Christ typically begin. By us bowing a knee and confessing his lordship and giving our lives into the hands, the worthy nail-scarred hands of the living Lord. He was humbled by God. The Bible reveals to us that the Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision, and said, I want you to to go to the street which is called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for one Saul of Tarsus, for the whole he prayeth. Now, Ananias feared the Lord, but he spoke to the Lord and said, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. And so he was saying, Lord, are you sure that this is the guy you want me to go to? Is this the one that you want me to go and and put my hand upon that he might receive his sight. Don't you think, Lord, it would be better if we just let him remain blind? Because that would really uh, prove to be an advantage to all those that are uh, in his sights. Lord, are you sure that what you're asking me to do is really what you want me to do? Because it doesn't make uh, practical sense for this church to, to let this guy have his sight and, uh, and to get back on his feet again. And the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Recognize something else, that not only was he humbled by God, but he was chosen by God. He was chosen by God. I often reflect over many times that I spent with Brother Hilmer Holmes, who's now with the Lord. Uh, he was uh, such a wonderful uh, man who had a passion for studying the Word of God for uh, all of his life. He went to be with the Lord at the age of ninety-two, and he taught a prophecy class here for many years. Taught a new conference class here for a number of years, and was uh, blessed. Um, with great wisdom concerning the truth. And I can remember many of those long seasons of time sitting together with him and talking about the things of the Lord and searching things out from the Scriptures. And and one day we were dealing with the question, before God created all that is, what did He do? And... uh, we, we decided to, to think on that and to study that out and we got together the next day and we found the answer in Ephesians chapter number 1 that before the foundation of the world, here's what God did. He chose you. He chose you. Before He made you, He knew you. And He knew everything about you. And He chose you to be a vessel unto Him to bear His name. God has chosen all those whom He has called to salvation. And I want you to understand that He didn't just choose you to come to heaven, he chose you to bear his name. Specifically, he chose Saul to bear his name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, which he did. And we know that it was his custom during uh, the time of his missionary journeys to go to a city. And there he would enter into the synagogues and he would preach Jesus unto those Jews, and it gives more light to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 in verse 16, that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, it, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. As you read throughout the epistle of the Romans, we discover that Paul understood that they were God's chosen people. But when they rejected Christ as their Messiah and God, the Lord God turned to the Gentile. And one day, because of their rejection, God showed mercy upon the Gentile world. And now God is wanting to show mercy to the Jews through the Gentiles. And you know what? God planned it all from before the foundations of the world. He didn't say, whoops, uh, my people rejected me. What am I going to do now? Uh, Let me see. Well, maybe I can find somebody else that I can turn my affections toward. No, God had it all planned because God was concerned about saving all of mankind. And I'm just overwhelmed with the joy of knowing that His mercy endureth forever. The Lord, God, wants everybody to be saved. And that's why He took one of Israel's choicest and humbled him, And He chose him to be a vessel to bear His name to the Gentiles and to kings and to the Jews as well. He was chosen by God. And friend, you have been chosen by God as well to bear His name. I want to ask you a question. Are you doing the thing that God has chosen you for? Bearing His name. See, we're not just here to be good folks and and pray that people will ask us, you know, why we have a song in our heart and a smile on our face. That would be wonderful if that was all we had to do. But you know, the truth is that we are to bear His name. That means we are to carry it with us and to take it to those that know Him not. That's exactly what Paul did and spent the remainder of the next 33 and a half years of his life doing, is carrying the gospel uh, to everyone. And so what we find is this, that he was humbled by God and he was chosen by God, but God didn't just choose him to do a work. For what the Bible tells us is this, in verse number 17 Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul. So this is an indication that he was indeed saved at this moment in time. Okay, Because Ananias called him brother. By revelation of the Lord, Ananias knew that this was transacted by God. So he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. You know why the Holy Ghost would infill Saul at this moment? He was was already sealed. I believe that with all of my heart. But I believe that what was taking place here, Was significant that the fullness of the Holy Spirit came upon the Apostle Paul. He was filled with the Holy Ghost so that he might have divine wisdom that would not be available to him in any other way, and so that he would have the power of God to fulfill the work that God had chosen him as a vessel to perform. Apart from God, he could never have done that. There is not a human that has lived that could have endured for 33 and a half years what Saul, who later became Paul, endured in the behalf of the cause of Jesus Christ. Now I think it's no small consequential thing to consider the fact that Jesus lived 33 and a half years and His choice and chosen servant was taught of the Lord for three years in Arabia and then ministered for 30 and a half years to the Gentiles. And so he was in Christ, a chosen vessel, also for 33 and a half years. And then he attained unto the resurrection of the dead that he so yearned for. But he was empowered by God and As you know, the Bible reveals to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 24, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And so what it reveals to us is this, that the one who has called us to this work will accomplish it for us by means of our vessel. He will do it through us by the power of, of the Holy Ghost of God. And so he was empowered to do the work that God had called him to do. I don't know if you've ever been given a job and not been given the resources to do it. I know that there are those that right now are nodding their head and uh, saying, yep, I'm in one of those jobs right now. (laughs) I have demands put on me, but I've not been given the tools to be able to make my bosses happy and it is frustrating. Frustrating. And you know it's a frustration. A lot of times, uh, there are uh, husbands that have expectations of their wives that those wives are going to have food on the table, a nicely prepared meal, and an immaculately clean home, and well-behaved children, and and a and a, and a well-managed budget, and all of these things. But uh, you know what? They don't they don't bring home the bacon. They don't give them enough money to maintain the household and to keep up. Uh, wonderful meals on the table and to take care of the kids and, and, uh, and so they have an expectation but you know what there's nothing there to back that up and I'm going to tell you something that what God calls us to He equips us for He empowers us for and faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it this was characteristic of this new man in Christ this new creature whose name became Paul. And let me tell you, he was mightily used by God. We find him fighting against God, but when God changed his life and reformed him into a new creature, he was humbled by God. He was chosen by God. He was empowered by God. And The Bible reveals to us that he was used by God by god by the way that's really the whole idea of the christian life is to be used of god you see he didn't save us just to set us aside until he gets ready to uh, come for us no he he has a work for us to do and he wants us to be used of him and the bible revealed that straightway he preached christ in the synagogues that he is the son of god But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. So he was used by God to preach Christ in the synagogues. You know, God wants to use you. And folks, listen, somehow we feel like it is demeaning for someone to use us. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. It sure beats the alternative. You know, to be put on the shelf. To not be allowed to participate in the greatest work in all of the world. Sometimes I listen to people talk and they're so narcissistic. It's all about them. It's like, you know, I need some me time. And you know, I need some alone time. I need to take a vacation by myself. Just get away and decompressed for me, and it's all about me, mine, us, and ours, and, and we're so self-centered and narcissistic at times, we get to the place where we feel like, bless God, ain't nobody going to use me. I'm not going to be anybody's doormat. You know, listen, if, as long as that's your attitude, you're pretty safe, right? But, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Sometime, just for kicks, read John chapter 13, where that Jesus in the upper room took a towel and girded Himself with it and, and He took a basin of water and He washed the feet of the disciples. Their dirty, stinking feet. It was the most base and humble act that a person in their culture could perform. But Jesus did that as an ensample unto them for the servant is not greater than the master. And he said, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You see, there is joy in serving Jesus. It's not a drudgery. It's not I'm somebody's using me. Look, I, I'm not talking about something, someone abusing you. I'm talking about you being allowed of the Lord and given the opportunity to be involved in the most meaningful, wonderful, and eternally enduring work that has ever been conceived of. God has called us to that, and He wants to use us in that. I'm going to say a couple more things before I draw the message to a close. And I want you to notice, and although it's not specifically cited here in this passage, it's alluded to. Because I believe there's a three-year gap in this chapter. And that gap can easily be found in the book of Galatians chapter 1. For the Bible tells us there in verse 15, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, and here's why He was called out by God, to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. So in other words, he didn't go running down to Jerusalem. The the fact is this, that they were well aware of what was going on. But I, I believe that he preached there in the synagogues in Damascus. And then I believe what took place is what he mentions here. He said, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. And I think that's where we pick it up again in verse 22. He said, uh, And returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. And so what happened? After his conversion, he went to Arabia and communed with the Lord for three years. He was trained of the Lord, equipped by God for three years in Arabia. It has often been stated that a call to serve is a call to prepare. And God was doing that work in Paul, was preparing him, and showing him how great things he must suffer for the name of Jesus. He was being trained by God Himself. Now, imagine what it would have been like to be one of the disciples of Jesus to have walked and talked with Him, slept and ate with Him for that three and a half year period of His ministry. Okay? That must have been an awesome thing to behold. And and to be in this small company of men, twelve disciples and Jesus leading them, it had to have been awesome. But can you imagine being taught face to face by the Lord for three years? Can you imagine the thrill, the wonder, all that God revealed unto him? I, I I don't know that it was while he was in Arabia that he had the vision that God gave him that he spoke of in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number twelve, but but listen, it could have been. I think uh, when he was stoned and left for dead in in Lystra, and, uh, and 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 I think maybe that's possibly when he saw that heavenly vision. It was not lawful for a man to see and live. But man, can you imagine the training that he received face to face from Jesus? But let me say this to you. That God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And a call to serve is a call to prepare. I mentioned this morning, recently I spoke to a person that indicated to me that they had been saved almost 11 years, but they knew nothing about the Bible. And I, I thought to myself, how tragic. God wants us to learn of Him. To take His yoke upon us and to learn of Him for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. This afternoon, uh, Linda and I had the opportunity to to have lunch with uh, the Garcia family. And Brother Jesus is our Spanish pastor; is a godly, humble servant of the Lord. I'm so grateful that he's here. We sat together with their family, and we we visited together. Their daughter Evelyn is going off to Bible college, and. And so Linda and I were trying to help mom and dad understand what was going to be taking place over the coming weeks and to help prepare them somewhat and also to give some counsel. And And, uh, and I shared with uh, Evelyn, I said, I know it it kind of seems counterintuitive what I'm going to tell you, but I've discovered it to be so and I've talked to many students that will bear witness to what I'm about to tell you, and that is that despite the fact you're going off to Bible college, you're going to go to chapel every day, you'll be in classes learning the Bible, you know, two or three, four hours a day, oftentimes Bible college is the very place where people will begin to backslide ever so slightly, and they'll kind of draw away from that intimacy with the Lord, and It seems like that could never happen. And what happens is that a student gets busy and uh, they think, well, I don't have time for my devotions right now, but hey, I'm studying the Bible four hours a day. I'm listening to preaching every day in the chapel services. And I said, Evelyn, I want you to listen to me closely. God is not sending you to Bible college to learn how to be spoon-fed for four years. He wants you to learn how to prepare spiritual meals for yourself and feed yourself so that you can help others be fed. That's why you're going off to Bible college, not to sit there and have the expectation that others are just going to feed you. You need to get your journal and your Bible and spend time in your prayer closet for your own spiritual nourishment, not just so that you can put a sheepskin on the wall and say that you finished a course of study in the Bible. I know many that have an academic knowledge of the things of Scripture, but they have an anemic relationship with the one that the Scripture reveals. And my friend, I believe that It is most important for us, more than to have a formalized education, to have a personal relationship with the living Lord that we seek out, that we dig into the Scriptures to learn of Him so that we can feed ourselves personally. Rather than rationalizing, well, I listen to devotions on Facebook, and I watch all the sermons on Sermon Audio. I'm all good. That's all I've got time for. Listen, carve out 20 minutes of time to open the Word of God get a daily Bible reading schedule and, and, uh, and then go down through it, read a portion of the Scripture every day and write down the things that God is revealing to you. Write down the inmost uh, things of your heart and pray them out and write down prayer requests and write down answers to prayer and things that God is dealing with you about and see what God is accomplishing as He's growing you and He's teaching you to find the deep things of God for yourself. And to nourish yourself richly from those things. That's what he learned for those three years. Because there would not be the apostles there all jointly together trying to encourage him. He would have to be encouraged in the Lord. And call upon the training and the personal relationship that he cultivated with the living Lord. He was trained by God. Lastly, I want you to see that When he returned to Damascus, we pick it up in verse 22. And this will be my last thought for the evening. And and the Bible tells us here that Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Imagine he was the one that was counseling to kill Christians. Now the Jews were counseling to kill Christians. Him. That was a profound turning of events, if I've ever seen one. But their laying away was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And the disciples took him by night. Who took him by night? The ones that he was putting into jail, the ones that he was putting in stocks and beating, and the ones that he was stoning, and the ones that he was threatening. And the ones that He was slaughtering. Now, He was their brother, not their tormentor. What a profound change. And what did they do? They let Him down by the wall in a basket. They, they protected Him. When He persecuted them, Jesus said, you're persecuting Me. And now that they were protecting Him, It was Jesus that was protecting him. Do you see that? Because they were members of his body. It was Jesus that now protected him. He was protected by God. You know, I believe that we have that promise of divine protection. The Lord will be with us even to the end of the world, to the end of the age. And we know that He is there with us. And there was a principle that he didn't understand as he was persecuting Christians. He was fighting God, who would be their protector and their guardian, their their Savior and their Lord. And now, what he once was ignorant of, he was entirely dependent upon. What a profound change! He was a new creature. When once his entire life was given over to fighting against God, and now his entire life was given over to proclaiming the truth of that which he once sought to destroy. He was a changed man. I submit to you that one of the greatest threats to Satan's domain in any community, is a person whose life has been transformed by Christ. It's a powerful testimony. And the world doesn't know what to do with it. When someone who was once wicked and evil and hurting others and reviling God and His people, and now he claims the name of Jesus and has become His servant. They don't know how to deal with that. They they have to try to poke holes in it. They have to try to speak against it. But it's one of the most powerful forces for good that is known of to man. And so I want to ask you a question. Since your Damascus Road experience, since you took Christ, What has changed? What's different about you? Are you a chosen vessel to bear His name? Perhaps that's what you've been chosen for, but is that what you're doing? God is calling us to live out this new life. The life of Jesus. Interesting. Paul, the apostle, lived the lifespan of Jesus the Savior, 33 half years. I think he was living the life of Christ. And even in that subtlety, it was revealed. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Word and Lord, how that the truths of the Word of God fit together like a hand in a glove. And that, Lord, there is no conflict there. Lord, I pray that You would help us who have been chosen by Thee to be Your vessels, to bear Your name to the ends of the earth. I pray, Lord, that we would do all that You have chosen us for. And Lord, may others see and know that we are different. We are new people in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us. We realize that this is a work that we cannot do alone. We need You. But You have said, faithful is He that calleth You who also will do it. So Lord, we're trusting You. And Lord, we're grateful to You for this promise. Use us to be that powerful influence in this darkened world. For this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us tonight. And I want to just pause for a moment and say, if you have never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you are not certain that you're on your way to heaven should you die this night, you to listen to me very carefully over the next few moments, because I want to share with you in its simplicity the gospel of Jesus that Paul had given his life to proclaim, because it will be the most important message that you may ever hear. The thing that we must understand is that gospel means good news, and the good news is that Jesus loves you, and wants to spend forever in heaven with you. But there's bad news that Goes along with that, and that is that we, in order to receive that gift that God offers to us, we must first acknowledge what the Bible says about us. And that is, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one, that none of us is perfect. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that we are all sinners. And because of the sin in our lives, we miss the mark of God's holiness. His glory is revealed by His holiness. We fall short of the glory of God. And therein we find God's requirement for heaven. It is perfection. God never said, do the best you can and hope for the best outcome. His standard as a holy God is perfect. He cannot accept anything less than perfection and still be God. Because he would have to deny who he is. You say, well, I'm not perfect. We started out there. There's none righteous, no, not one. It doesn't get better for a minute. For the Bible tells us, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, that we were born into sin. we inherited it from the head of the human race, the first man, Adam, who sinned against God and God pronounced sin upon all that would come behind him. And that's you and that's me. And because of sin, death, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. What we deserve because of our sinful condition is death. Death is separation. When my spirit and my soul are separated from my body, death occurs. But my spirit and my soul don't go into oblivion. They are either united with Jesus or they are experiencing the second death separated again, not from a body, but from the life giver, who is Jesus, the Lord Christ, to go to a place of suffering for sin called hell. And the wages of our sin, what we deserve because we're sinners, is to go to a devil's hell and pay the price for our sin for all of eternity. But the good news is, the Bible says, but God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were sinners deserving of punishment, but Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life for those who could not. And he went to the cross and became the perfect sacrifice for those who could not pay the price for their own sin so that he could offer them the gift of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. What do we deserve? We deserve eternal death in a place of suffering called hell. But God says, I want to give you the opposite of what you deserve. Eternal life with me in heaven, purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ to all who will receive it. And my friends, it's being offered as a gift. It is the gift of God. The way that we receive a gift is to simply believe that He has offered it to us freely. And claim it for our very own by faith. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to His mercy He saved us. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we cannot work our way into heaven. There is not enough money on the earth to pay for even one person's salvation. We cannot pay for it. We must receive it as a gift from God for He paid for it in full with His own blood and now He offers it to all who believe Him and will receive it. And the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe what I've just shared with you from the Bible, the Gospel, and you've never yet acted upon that belief to ask the Lord to come into your life and to forgive you and to save you, then make tonight the night of your salvation where you receive that free gift and whereby that you know that should you pillow your head for the last time tonight that you'll wake up in the very presence of God in heaven. It'll be the most important and consequential decision that you'll ever make in your life. If you desire to have that comfort and know that joy and you've never yet done it, if you believe the gospel as I've shared it with you, Right now, I want you to pray a prayer along with me. Understand there are no magic words, and my prayer will never save you. But if these words that I will pray reflect the desire of your heart, then make them your own words and pray them as unto the Lord. And He has promised you shall be saved. Even as I pray now, would you pray along with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner that I cannot save myself I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin so that I may spend forever in heaven with him I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only to save me and take me to heaven Lord I believe that you died and were buried and that you rose again so that you as a living lord could offer me life i'm now trusting you only enable me to live for thee for this i pray in the wonderful name of jesus amen friend if tonight you prayed that prayer to take christ as your only savior and to have the forgiveness of sins then on the authority of god's word i declare that you are saved based upon what God's Word reveals. If you've made that decision, we want you to let us know about it. You can contact us through Sermon Audio. You can find the link to our website, freewaybaptist.org. Email us and tell us about your decision. We want to send you a Bible of your very own and some information that will help you to begin growing. If you're out of the area, contact us. We'll help you to find a church where you are. And it would be our joy to help you as you begin this new life in Jesus Christ. Thank you once again for joining us tonight. Don't forget we'll have the memorial service broadcast live tomorrow at 11 for Pat Chapman. Our midweek service will be Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Again broadcast through three platforms and we trust that you'll join us then and until then may the Lord richly Bless you.